Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Slapcast. This is episode 11 of our coverage of the 2023-24 season. I'm your host, Gage, as usual, and we have returned for an especially spooky edition of Slapcast. It's the Slap Spooks. We're back for another episode of talking about the Premier League, but you may notice everyone except me is feeling a bit festive today. Uh, I've had to come straight from the office, and I have no materials to make a costume, unfortunately, so I'm a loser. But you know who's not a loser? Ethan. Hello, Ethan. Hello, Gage. I, I feel like you have your own costume in some way. You're you're a revived Spurs fan. I told everyone at the office that I'm the hottest and most stunning, gorgeous accountant you've ever seen. So okay. that's pretty I can, much what I, I can attribute to that. It's no fib. <laughs> so, Ethan, tell us about your costume. So I, you know, bought this hat a long time ago for some reason. I don't know why, but I just have it. So last year I was Popeye. And I remembered my dad had a corncob pipe. And so I know that Willem Dafoe uses one in the lighthouse. And I've got an A24 party I'm going to, so this works out. You know who else is not a loser who's also joining us? It's Reese. Hello, Reese. Wow. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> you got nothing else to say? You got to ask me how I'm doing since I'm Josh's stand-in. Right, right. Reese, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm disappointed that we cannot share this momentous occasion with Josh. Of course, this episode will be releasing on Halloween, hence all the uh, get-ups and whatnot. But yeah, Josh is uh, absent again for another week, maybe two. We'll see. Uh, We'll see how he's feeling when he gets back. But um, yeah, we're hoping to have him back as soon as possible. But in the meantime, the show must go on. So we're going to carry on. I don't know. Do we have a question of the week? Uh, I thought of one just now, and we probably already talked about it, but uh, scariest movie you've ever seen? Ooh. Ooh. Um, if you got one, go ahead. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that many super scary movies. Like Most of the horror-type movies that I like are Stephen King-related because... My dad was a big Stephen King fan and he has almost, I think he used to have all of them, but I think a few have come out since where he doesn't have them, but he used to have all the Stephen King books in first edition, uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, But so, yeah, I've seen a good amount of Stephen King material, but none of it's like the scariest stuff you've ever seen. I mean, The Shining is scary, but it's not like more of a thriller. Right. And then like it is scary, but that's. I don't know. That's again, it's not really, I mean, that is straight up a horror movie, but I wouldn't say it's the scariest movie of all time. So, but the, the scariest movie I've, I've probably ever seen is the conjuring. It's pretty freaky. Yep. So. Hereditary is probably the scariest movie I've seen. Uh, even it's like thriller elements where they just make you feel uneasy make you feel so uneasy like you're just on edge for the whole movie and then there's some really good scares in that movie it's just so freaky yeah i had recently gotten into horror movies i think last year is when i started you know diving more into them uh i watched hereditary with reese and two of our other college roommates and it was uh who's actually been on the show cooper uh it was his first time as well. And and y'all were like pointing stuff out that we didn't even see. We were like freaking out. So we were all just like, you know, that was really scary. So I would probably say hereditary, hereditary too. But I've I've been getting more into them. I've been watching a lot of the big name ones. I know, you know, uh like Silence of the Lambs is more of like a slasher 
thing, but it's still like eerie and creepy and I, I enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, it's it's spooky, spooky movie season. It is spooky movie season. And in honor of that, it's spooky segment season as well, because we've got a very scary, very horrifying time to talk about in our mystery segment. And I'll let Ethan take it away because he's the spook master right now, the the king of all things scary. I guess, yeah. So uh, I basically asked the guys to kind of think of the scariest moments you've had as fans. And, you know, uh, you know, it might not be scary, but, you know, when you think about it, you're like, that was a scary time in history for the club. So uh, I asked them to think about that. But I will go first. I have two. I, first of all, was thinking of <laughs> when we hired Frank DeBoer in the 2017-18 season, and, you know, preseason went fine. We made a lot of good young signings and it looked good. I mean, you know, Frank Frank DeBoer was like a really good player. Um, so, you know, new manager, get rid of all the old managers that we've had uh, and then go our first uh, four games without a goal or a win. And so he went out the door and this is when Roy Hodgson was brought to me and I he first entered my life. And so we went another three games uh, without winning uh, or scoring but then we finally broke it but for it went from august to october where we didn't score a goal so there was no no joy all scary no uh no youth to be happy about but my second one and this is actually from last year was uh, uh when we were in our second season with uh patrick vera we resumed after the world cup and we proceeded to not win a game until April, the 1st of April. So we went like from maybe the tail end of December to April with not winning a game. So pure depression, pure Ethan probably needed psychiatric help. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad things are somewhat different now, but uh, it's been, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy time as a palace fan. I mean, I even, there was that time when I had talked about it first where we broke the record for most games without a goal or something like that. So a lot of scary times for sure that I could have chosen from, but those are my two. So my scary time is like an abstract of time uh, where <laughs> I'm just going to list. It's basically a period post Wenger, early Arteta of just, signings we had at the club who either it seems just like I was in the twilight zone looking back uh so I need everyone to enter their imaginations for a moment imagine big storm lightning crackling after each name you know spooky spooky laughter David Luiz Socrates William I'm not going to do the voice for all of them. Kolasinac, Lichsteiner, Mkhitaryan, and the scariest of all, Dennis Suarez. <laughs> Just this abstract period of non-signings. Like, I cannot believe these players played at the club. It doesn't feel real. There you go. That's a good one. I mean, a bunch of those players you listed, I totally forgot, played for Arsenal. <laughs> Dennis Suarez is the one that always gets me. <laughs> I think he might have had one appearance. Maybe. I know I know for a fact he played in a North London derby. 
That's crazy. So, yeah, he came on as a sub in like the 90th minute or something because I have a very vivid memory of it. But yeah, so he did play the North London Derby. I don't know, man. In the last three or so years, maybe, no, I would say more than that. Maybe like last four or five years, I have had a plethora of options to choose from. <laughs> I've had to narrow it down to two after much uh, deliberation, but I've decided to go with the first one. I actually chose this one. I was going to leave it out, but then I decided I had to choose it, and you'll see why. The reign of Nuno Espirito Santo was a very scary time to be a Spurs fan because, yes, it started off great, and he won three manager of the month. Or no, whoa, whoa, whoa. He won his first three games and then won manager of the month in August. His first three games were all 1-0, stodgy, terrible performances for the most part. We did beat City, so hey, but... um. We always beat them at home, so it's nothing special. Uh, and then immediately after that, a 3-0 loss to Crystal Palace uh, with a sending off for ja- with a sending <laughs> off by, for Jaffa Tanganga. Um, fielding a lineup against Chelsea that included six defenders. I think that was pretty scary. Um, something like that. And then he gets beaten by Man United 3-0, makes a horrible substitution, that gets booed by the entire crowd and then gets sacked. And here's the reason I had to include this on October 31st. So he got sacked on Halloween. No, so say it ain't to... so. Say it ain't so. It's it's so. It's so. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I had to I had to include that one because he was sacked on Halloween. But the other one, and now this is like a Twilight Zone moment, like Reese was describing earlier. I'm gonna paint the picture for you here of, of what's happening. Picture Spurs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lots of storm clouds, lots of, you know, raininess, lots of spookiness in the background. Spurs have just drawn 1-1 against newly promoted Sheffield United. No. I know. No. Not Sheffield. It's, it's a, a cool day in November. And there's me, a young freshman at Baylor University, walking to class. I'm on the phone with my mom, talking about whatever. And then I get this extreme sequence of buzzes and I look at my phone and I see four DMS from former show producer, Chris Kuchar that says, what happened? What happened to Potch? Boom. Lightning strike. Like the day that we sacked Potch, I think I really felt like I was living in the twilight zone, especially whenever I woke up the next morning and Jose Mourinho was the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the scary moment right there. I really felt like I was living in an alternate universe at that point. Um, so, yeah, really just hit me with a, a wave of two shocks in a row. First, the, the pod sacking and then the Jose becoming appointed, which yeah. is what a slightly coaster. ludicrous. Yeah, serious. And then, of course, the the damage that followed led to many more scary moments after that. So. Thank God for uh, for Postacoglu to save me, to, to pull me out of the, the horrible nightmare. Yay, so happy for you. Possibly yeah. <laughs> yeah. <the day. laughs> so, all right. Well, well, that's a good segue, I'd say, because uh, we're going to start moving on to uh, discuss the Premier League and the action from the weekend. And, of course, Spurs only play on Mondays and Fridays now, so that means that the Friday night fixture was a slap showdown, something that we used to highlight a lot. Uh, between Spurs and Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. I was surprised to find, because I 
sort of have this inclination in my mind that we never beat Palace, but then I, which is stupid. It's not shared. Yeah, I don't know where that came from because I went and looked and we have won 15 of our last 16, well, now 16 of our last 17 meetings in the Premier League. So I don't know where I got that notion from, but yeah, uh, quite the statistic. So the game overall, I mean, not the most thrilling of affairs, but Ethan, I, I, I'm going to turn it over to you first to kind of give your submission of what, you know, what went wrong for Palace on the day, <laughs> aside from not having Eze or Elise available. Right. And and it's becoming more of a, more of a time where we're going to have to deal with that. Uh, Yeah. So uh, let me, let me paint your mind, you know, Ethan Friday night or not Friday night, Friday afternoon, looking at the phone, you know, we had a great lineup against Newcastle. It was just unfortunate loss. I look, Schlup on the wing. Schlup on the wing. No. And then I'm thinking, no, it can't be. No, this, this can't be. Uh, and after thinking that, I immediately fast forward to the end of the game to find out he only made maybe two passes in about 60 minutes. Uh, I think that's true. I'm going to pretend it's true to back up my complaints. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a weird game from a Palace perspective because when you look at the stats, they're very weird. Like our possession was 24%, but we had like 13 shots, which is not something that usually goes along with that stat. So, uh, I mean, there was a weird period where we had a bunch of corners and I thought maybe we would do something from then. One of them, nothing. So it was it was really just like a, it was kind of a circus game just because so much was happening and nothing was good. It was all terrifying. Uh, for, for people who are afraid of clowns, it was a, it was a terrifying circus. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I obviously was going into this game thinking, you know, the only thing going for us right now is that it's home. I mean, Tottenham are just in form right now. They've got a, a good, a good feel throughout the club at the moment with Postacoglu. And so I, I, I would have been fine with a draw, but it just didn't end like that. But the thing that I was more annoyed with was the fact of what Roy said after the game. And a lot of fans, he lost a lot of fans, including myself, after uh, the game when he went out to the press conference and criticized our youngsters who came on, uh, stating the fact that they don't do enough when they come on and that they, you know, they don't create much of an impact. And it's like, unreasonable for us to have so much expectations for them to perform and hit the ground running immediately uh specifically talking about franca uh what is wrong with you you are 70 something years old and you can't understand the fact that the worst players on the field are the oldest players and the fact that you brought them on with 20 minutes left you cannot expect a player to immediately impact the game like that who's still like barely got any premier league minutes. So like, I don't know. I feel like if, you know, maybe the likes of rack Saki started ahead of Schlupp, it would have been a different thing. And then it's, it's annoying to where it's going to be like, if rack Saki does something good or some other youngster does good in the future, he's going to praise them. And he probably won't be like, oh, I was wrong or anything like that. So it's just, it's annoying. And, it, and a lot of palace fans feel the same way, but yeah, very weird game from a palace perspective. 
the thing I really don't understand about that is it's like, yeah, okay, the youngsters didn't make a huge impact in the game, but the whole reason they were on the pitch is because neither were the old players. The old players had 70 minutes to get it done and they weren't doing anything. Sorry, right. that might have been loud. Um, no. But yeah, they the old players had 70 minutes on the pitch. So yeah. why is he choosing to dig out the youngsters when, like you said, Schlupp completed like single digit numbers of passes throughout the game? Will Hughes is doing his best at striker, uh, yeah. but, which is a new thing, but... I mean, yeah, yeah. I, so I don't really understand the the desire to dig out the youngsters there. I think maybe Roy's just looking for a scapegoat somehow. I don't know. I mean, his team selection, as it is, it's just not adventurous. Just doesn't do much for me. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. we did see a few cameos that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting to see Ahamada to come in. Yeah. Um, I did notice. Yeah, I did notice that or someone mentioned during the game that Roy has never used more than three substitutes in a Premier League game until this very moment. Wow. I know. I They had said that since he had been managing Crystal Palace, uh, he and, or since they brought in the rule that you could put on five subs, he had never done it until then, which is crazy to me. I mean, like... Oh, five, not three. Like he's never he's never made five subs in a game until now. He you only ever three. made three. Oh, I'm oh no, sorry. no no no! Sorry. I was yeah, like, he's, he's only ever made less than three. No, the no, most no. subs he's ever made in a game it's is three. three. Yes. But you know, I I get we're scrapped for numbers right now. Like we have a lot of injuries still, but you we need to something needs to change. We can't keep putting Schlepp on the wing because the numbers aren't backing backing it. Is it like why his reasoning for starting? It's it's it doesn't correlate, so it's very frustrating. And I know at one point you brought it up, but at one point we were just kind of sitting watching y'all pass back and forth and then doing El Rondo in the back or whatever it's called that drill. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's just frustrating considering that you know we had a lot of corners and chances to you know maybe get a goal or two from the game, but you know. Yeah, there was that weird moment where Vicario and Romero passed back and forth to each other about a hundred times because the Palace players were just letting it happen, and we yeah, were they up, just weren't pressing. We were up two goals to nil. Now, to, or we at that point we were up one nil. And to be fair, the the one time they did actually press, ball goes out to Sar, boom, immediate switch, Johnson header, flick on, goal. So you can understand why Roy didn't want them to press, but it it, it was sort of hilarious that. Spurs were able to burn probably three to five minutes just by passing around the back and being completely unchallenged by Palace's forward players. So, yeah, that was an interesting one as well. From a Spurs perspective, of course, the most notable thing going into the game was the fact that Destiny Udogi was going to Udogi was going to be uh, he was out feeling some tightness in the hamstring, uh, so he didn't start. He wasn't on the bench. Uh, brought in Ben Davis to replace him, who's also coming back from an injury of his own. So I'm not going to dig him out too much. He's also not especially well-suited to play the inverted, essentially midfield version of a fullback that Postacoglu likes to play in this in this tactical system. So I'm not going to dig him out too much. But he did struggle in the first half. I thought Poro struggled too, actually. Um, both of the fullbacks had had tough games. So... Poro just lacks a little bit of awareness of what's going on behind them. I thought there were a lot of times where balls were played into a zone where he should have been marking and he just didn't make it happen. He didn't make a defensive play, including the goal that, you know, never, or the goal that in my opinion, shouldn't have stood um, from IU. It Poro was the one who, you know, left him unmarked in that area to where he could even 
you know, be present to finish uh, in that way. So, of course, then Davis is struggling. So Postacoglu brings on Royale at halftime at left back, which I was a little surprised by. Yeah, he brought on Roy at at halftime. The Uh, real spooky, the spookiest (laughs) thing. He brought on Royale at halftime, who I was actually relatively impressed by. I mean, I think he played decently well, didn't give up any chances. He's obviously fairly defensive, sound, defensively sound. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, I had another important thing to bring up. Oh, the Richarlison experiment. We got to have our touch point on that. It feels like we're talking about it once a week now. Last week, I said I thought he was industrious enough and he brought enough to the team that it warranted him keeping his place in the starting 11. Now I think I'm revoking that. I think uh, he's had enough chances now to where he just can't make anything happen in the final third. And it's to the point where he tries these silly little flicks and tricks and stuff to try to make something come off, but none of them come off. It'd be different if he had like a 25% success rate or even a 10% success rate with these little things, but he has a 0% success rate at the moment from what I can tell constantly just trying to bring the ball down in a, in a creative way or flick the ball around the defender. And it just doesn't work for him, uh, which is frustrating. I think there was one moment where he tried to basically scorpion touch the ball down in front of him and <laughs> it went out for a throw. And I think pasta Coglu uh, looked like he wanted to commit murder on that, on that day. Uh, he was very annoyed with him and I was too, to be fair, but um he does work hard and, and and you have to consider the fact that he's been struggling with these personal issues off the pitch. And and it's nice that he was able to come forward and talk about that and, and share that with the world. But from a purely footballing perspective, I think time is running out. I think he officially needs to be relegated to the bench, especially given the fact that Johnson made such a difference when he came on as well. That's what I was going to say, like, I think it's great to be able to say this player works hard. However, Johnson, I would say from his appearances, looks like he works just as hard, but also has some kind of attacking output, whether it's goals or assists. So I actually wrote in my notes, Johnson impact should be the death of Richarlison. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of a dramatic way to put it, but um, yeah, I think surely Johnson's going to start the next game. Yeah, I think the only the only thing I could see getting in the way of that is if maybe he's not all the way back to full fitness. I don't know. But if if Richarlison starts, I will immediately be questioning whether Johnson was fit because I think there's no universe in which a fully fit Johnson doesn't start the next game against Chelsea. So, yeah, and then um, I wanted to give a shout-out to two players who I thought I'm going to give them co-man of the match. Uh, the first one being uh, Pat Matar-Sar, who I thought, controlled the midfield really nicely. He was involved in the buildup for both goals, especially the second goal where he played that lovely crossfield switch with a bit of fade on it over to Johnson, who was able to head it forward. And then the rest is history as far as the second goal. So yeah, shout out to him. And then of course, Mickey Vandeven, who's just an absolute weapon in defense because anytime a ball was played over the top or anytime a ball was played through to the likes of Edward or uh, IU, Vandevin is there. He's just yeah. so fast. He's a missile. He's huge. He's massive. This is why he's I call massive. him the planet, and dude. He, yeah, he's, and his speed. He's stupidly fast. And I mean, the commentators talked about it multiple times in the game, but he actually, I think, was the registered quickest player in the Bundesliga last year. Yeah, he was. Um, so it's it's not surprising that he's showing it off, but it is surprising 
every time you see it just because of how big he is. He's massive. And it's just the fact that we've been so used to seeing Eric Dyer mill about at the back for Spurs, who has the same pace as an aircraft carrier. So it's nice to see a defender who can actually make up ground in a 1v1 situation. I I mean, seriously, Spurs haven't had something like that probably since Kyle Walker. I mean, it's been that long since they've had a defender who can make up that much ground that quickly. So, yeah, it's it's nice to see. And um, just such a Rolls Royce, so good on the ball too, Um, can play any pass, can step forward into midfield at, at times in possession. So, yeah, couldn't couldn't be more pleased with Mickey Vandeven. Um, yeah, I thought Palace defended pretty doggedly. I mean, I thought it wasn't like Palace played horribly, I don't think. It's just that there's not much to combine going forward. Not a lot to, in terms of threatening the opposition goal. So I mean, the annoying thing is that we've got two great center backs who pair well together, but the outlier is always that old fart and right back. Scored the stupid own goal, so yeah, it's pretty bad uncle. At first, at first glance, I thought like, oh well, you know, he didn't have a lot of time to react, but you know, maybe he couldn't avoid it. But then you see it in slow mo; it actually wasn't going to hit him. He he stuck his leg out. It was either, like an instinctive move, yeah, yeah, either instinctively or whatever. But there was no one at the back post; like he could have let it no. go, and and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, and if it was his like only mistake he had made in in like recent times, I would have like cut him some slack and support him. But like, he's just he's constantly our weakest link in the in the in the you know the team, and they he always gets exposed. He got exposed with Villa. He got exposed with the Newcastle game that happened before the Tottenham game, and it's just we're in desperate need of another right back or and a left back for for to give Tarek Mitchell a break because he's our most he's played every single minute in every competition this season yeah right so yeah what I would say and sort that out and you are right that it's it's a it's a tough own goal for Ward but I do think there is something to the fact that Spurs have decided to utilize this strategy of driving low crosses into the box and just hoping something happens like I think that's a real thing. I mean, we talk I mean, we talk about it. In, yeah, exactly. I mean, you talk about it in in hockey a lot. Like there's a saying, you know, just get pucks to the net, pucks to the net, and good things will happen. And I think that's true for 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 this instance as well. I because <laughs> if you drill a low cross in and it goes off the defender's ass and goes, you know, trickles across the line, counts the exact same as a thirty yard screamer. So. I think there is legitimate merit to the idea that you can generate what I like to call trash goals, like cleaning up the trash in front of the net. I think you can generate goals like that by just drilling low crosses into the area. So I do like that as a, as a point of strategy. Um, It's something I talked about a little bit last season, actually with uh, I think the phrase I kept using was creating your own luck in the sense of if you just shoot enough, you know, Sometimes an own goal may seem lucky, but if you're just constantly getting shots on net, it's it's really bound to happen. Right. Yeah. And and like I said, they all count the same. I'll take I'll take every goal for the rest of the season as an own goal from now on if it means we're gonna, you know, win the league or finish in the top four or whatever. So it doesn't make any difference to me. So uh yeah, Ethan, unless you have any final thoughts there. Uh I'll, I did have one. I know yeah. the big the big takeaway was our our goal at the end with IU oh yeah scoring um you know for a while they were looking at it uh 
or possible handball, which it, it definitely did touch its hand, but for some reason they allowed it. So it makes me wonder what the actual protocol is for these things. Uh, yeah, they don't know. From my <laughs> understanding and the commentators and everyone ever, attacking is different from defense, right? Defense, if it goes off your chest or your knee or something, like if it hits some, some other part of your body first, you're okay because they want to give you the benefit of the doubt. But the rule for attacking, at least what it's supposed to be, is that any handball involved means it doesn't count. So my current theory is that, you know, they've decided to go with clear and obvious because that's kind of their catch-all when they don't know the rules. Um, and they're just like, yeah, it wasn't clear and obvious. The ref could have easily missed it. Let's move on. Um, but I don't know if they're supposed to do that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just don't really understand. But, you know, in the way of like footballing karma, I think, you know, it kind of balances out because, you know, you look at own goal, really unfortunate. Maybe it's not a rules issue, but it's just unfortunate way to yeah, concede. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you're defending decently up to that point. And then, you know, it kind of balances itself out with this late equalizer that kind of shouldn't exist. So you, you take away those goals, Spurs still win 1-0, but it, it is weird. Yeah. It's, and, you know, it's kind of like I wish they would, you know, release – <laughs> like just like there i wouldn't need there to be like a social media account that releases the reasoning for why they did this decision 100 percent, yeah because they definitely you know they will pick like big decisions that were missed in like you know you'll get apologies and people talk about them but like it's the small stuff like that that i feel like should be talked about because it, it helps not only it helps us understand the rules but like it keeps them accountable i guess well, and this one's never going to get talked about again because it didn't impact the result, right? If it, right. It's a lot different if if Franca scores that chance at the very end. I'm on here flipping tables and asking for a replay. <laughs> like, but because it didn't impact the result, because it, yeah, exactly. But because it didn't impact the result, we're never going to, we're never going to hear about it again. So they just get to get away with it or like, yeah. get, not, not, the, you know, they just get to get away without explaining it at the very least. So yeah, yeah it, it's unfortunate, but. It is what it is. I think this season has been one of the worst refereed we've seen in a long time, and that's continuing. We're going to talk about some more shocking decisions later on. It is on. October. I know, dude. It's ridiculous. We're, we're 10 games into the season, and we're going to talk about some more shocking decisions that happened in another game later on. Um, yeah, just, I, I just, have a uh, just an observation from this game. I forgot Brian Heal existed. Oh, I'm glad you said that because um, Rodrigo Bentenker came back too. From injury it's his first time back on the pitch in eight months um after he tore his acl against leicester in february um so and he got a really nice reception too i i i kind of got a little like not like super emotional but it kind of made me you know well up a little bit because like when he's when he's about to come on like kulisevsky's coming off and he's smiling and like Ben Tanker just has the most shit eating grin ever on his face when he's about to come back onto the pitch and like the fan away fans give him this huge cheer. And then after the game, he gets mobbed by his teammates and they're all like doing a, you know, little dance circle around him basically. Um, yeah. Just a good moment to see for, for someone to come back into the game after such a long period out and such a horrible injury. So, I mean, that'll probably be me when Eze and Elise are back on the field together. <laughs> yeah. Just because they're so iconic and they're, they're pretty close friends. So that'd be nice to see. And yeah, Brian Hill too. I don't know what role he's going to play going forward, but if any, really. He but, looked okay. Yeah, it was not bad. 
I think we are in need of a 1v1 specialist in some ways, and I think he kind of is that. So it's it's possible that he could get minutes going forward. To be honest, I wouldn't mind taking I would I would honestly take a punt starting him over starting Richarlison right now, to tell you the truth. So can't hurt. Give him 60 minutes. If he's terrible, then take him off. But yeah. Anyway, all right. Let's uh move right along to the next game. The uh lunchtime kickoff at on Saturday was a West London derby between Brentford and Chelsea, where Chelsea are, you know, it's good to see Chelsea back to their, uh, you know, standard form after a, a, a couple of good results. They're back to all is right in the world again. Uh, they've <laughs> lost a game. So I think what really should be said about this is that Brentford, uh, what a stalwart defensive performance by them. I think credit has to be given to them. What, if anything, and I, we could ask this question a hundred times and get a hundred different answers, but what, if anything, is Chelsea's problem? They can't what score. do they need to do differently? Yeah, they just can't I mean, score. I mean, you look at the game against us, which there was a lot of bright spots, but you know the penalty. There is a debate to be had. I said on the record, I'm fine with it being a pen, but you know it's like a penalty you're expected to score, right? And then the Mudrik one wasn't even on purpose. So they get two goals in that game. It looks really good on paper, but then now retrospectively, it's just kind of like well. You know, they didn't really mean they didn't. Neither mean of them those. were from good finishing. <laughs> yeah. Like so then you get into a game with this game. They have plenty of chances, right? Um, you know, most of them coming from long shots just because they are having to play against the back five. It's hard to break them down, but they had a decent amount of chances, especially in the first half, of you know, chances inside the box from from across or or you know, Sterling dribbling past some players getting in a good position, and they just can't even get the ball on net, like not even threatening to score. Jackson is shite. That's what I'm yeah. going to bring to the table. Very He's just shite. I think. I think the the there's always this you know period of adaptation when a new player moves to the Premier League, but sometimes you can just tell when somebody doesn't have it. And <laughs> I think I'm reaching that point with him. Like you could just tell that he's Didn't not Armando work out. Brogia play the other day and get some goals, maybe yeah. in a separate competition. But I, I, mean. I don't. I no, it was in the Prem. I'm pretty sure. I don't understand why the uh what the insistence is on on not giving him a chance because yeah like you say i think it was in the prem the game before the arsenal game i'm frantically going to look but i'm pretty sure he scored yeah yeah they just nope. they just can't score and i really think uh you know i thought they were going to get some momentum after the arsenal game because um there were bright spots you know i had a lot of good things to say about cole palmer especially but going from that to then losing to Brentford for the third time in a row, by the way, at home, I think is just going to set them right back to where they are, where, where they were, and they're going to struggle to pick up points again. Crazy stat. Thomas Frank has now won more games at Stanford Bridge than Frank Lampard and Mauricio Pochettino combined. Yeah. I, I think that's an insane stat. I mean, that number's like three, by the way. Yeah, Thomas Frank has won three, and between Lampard and Pochettino, it's one. One. Yeah, I mean, when, when I think of the fixture Chelsea versus Brentford at Stamford Bridge, all I could think about was the the many hype moments where Brentford have won. So it doesn't surprise me, actually. I mean, how long? I, I think he probably should get more time. But given 
given that their owner is Todd Bowley, how long does Poch have, right? I, I hope mean, Spurs twat him well. for 10 on Monday and he gets sacked. That stupid little reptile. Um, I Because Spurs are their next game and it's at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'm and- a little surprised you are so have so much animosity towards him. No, I the thing is, I because uh, it's not like he, he left and immediately joined Chelsea, right? He got sacked, spent a long time, um, either not managing or at PSG, and then came back to the Prem, right? I no, mean, it's Chelsea, but it, yeah, it's, that's the whole point. It is Chelsea. It's just like I think if we were doing, if we were really struggling and Chelsea were doing well, I think there would be rage and fury from all corners of Spurs yeah. Earth, but. Because it's the other way around, it's a little bit like mocking, like, like yeah, look what you could have had, or look what you this that the other, you know. Which I'm so glad that we didn't go. I wanted us to go back in for him in the summer, and that might be one of my worst takes of all time. Uh, so, and I've had a lot of bad takes on this podcast, um, and that might be up there. So, yeah, I, as far as why I feel animosity towards him, I actually don't, but I think it's funny. So. Yeah. The other thing about Chelsea in this game is their defense. Like, I I felt like they were they just didn't know who to mark a lot of. Times. I think their fullbacks don't know who to mark ever. Actually, yeah. Because I go back to that Arsenal game too. The Trossard goal. If Gusto just makes a run inside of him and covers the man off, that goal never happens. Yeah, and I mean Gusto and- dropped in this game. I don't know if he's injured or whatever, but Colwell played at left back, Kukurea at right back. Yeah, um, um, he was on the bench. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm presuming just they didn't like his recent performances. Yeah, tried to decided to play a center back at left back and a left back at right back. As which is crazy because they have two right backs on the bench, two. Yeah, but I mean, Reese James almost doesn't count. He's he's frail, right? Yeah. But I mean, I, I yeah, I don't really understand that, but. And then I think, uh, interestingly, what happened to Mudrake? Was he injured? Is he? Um, I'm not actually sure. I think. Um, I don't know actually. Because I was gonna say Madueke came in and and yeah, he's he's good one v one and and he takes people on. But I actually dare I say think they missed Mudrake in this game, <laughs> like, I think he's become kind of a a a good piece for them. But, it would have been really good for him to play immediately following that goal, too. Yeah. Ethan, what do you have? I I think I have heard Chelsea fans refer to Madueke as Maduki. So, uh, ah. yeah, I guess that sums up how he played on a, on Saturday. But the, I, the thing I want to point out was that uh, Pochettino's, like, assistant manager got sent off. Yeah. Jesus Perez. What happened? I, I didn't even know, realize what happened. Just I an altercation in the technical yeah. area. Yeah. Said something to the ref. Uh, got sent straight off. I don't. I don't know what was said, but yeah. Um, it always feels like tension. I mean, at least somebody. At least somebody at Chelsea cares. <laughs> it's almost like if something doesn't go right, then Todd Bowley goes out and shoots somebody. <laughs> so everyone's like on edge and like tensions are high and something like. I feel like something always happens with them. Yeah, I mean, Todd Bully's been the owner now for what? Is this his second year as owner? And it's like third, and this is his third, like manager? one and a half year. Yeah, and this is his third manager. Yeah, 
if you count Lampard, which I probably would. I mean, yeah. Um. Oh, okay. So to be fair, to be fair, they were missing Enzo Fernandez through injury and Mikhailo Mudrik. Wait, this is his fourth manager. Wasn't Tuchel at the very beginning? Didn't didn't Bully sack Tuchel? Yeah, I think so. So Tuchel so, Lampard. Potter. No, Tuchel Potter Lampard. Poch. Pochettino. This is his fourth manager. So this is four managers in a year and a half, I think. Yeah. I yeah, mean, he Tuchel took obviously got sacked right when he took over, but still. Dude, it literally might be a year. Because it was about a year ago that, that Todd Bowley took over Chelsea. Hold on, let me see. When did Todd Bowley... This is thrilling stuff for the listeners, I know. But now I'm curious. <laughs> okay, never mind. May 2022. Okay. So a year and a half. But still. Still. Though. Yeah. On the On the Brentford side, they're still dealing without Tony. Mbemo has continued to score. And it's one of those where it's like you're concerned for them because you know they're the guy who scored most of their goals is not there, but they've been able to pick up the slack. Maybe not putting up as much numbers, but still winning games. Let me tell you, I've had him in fantasy since probably week two, and he's been a huge reason why I was able to come back and I brought him in leagues I'm playing and he's he literally gets me at least six points every week. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think this could be good for them in January too, because I, you see Ivan Tony get linked to a lot of clubs. I know Arsenal are one of those names on the list that have been looking at him. And I think maybe Chelsea too. You could see some clubs possibly coming in with big offers for him in January once his ban is over. And if you're Brentford right now, why not take it? Yeah. Like, why not take Although, a 50, $60 million offer for him? Yeah. The thing is now, and I'm sure there's other teams that would be interested, but I saw the reports actually today were saying Tottenham and Arsenal are both interested in the player, but are currently not really pursuing a deal because the proposed fee of 60-ish mil is, is too high considering yeah. how long he's been out of football. True. True. But still, I mean, if you get an offer, if you're Brentford and you get an offer, I mean... No, I think they should. Absolutely. They seem to be doing fine. They might as well get rid of him, so... Or not get rid of him, but turn a profit on him. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have the Raya money coming in in the summer. They could have Tony for January. I mean, that's some serious funds to work with and, and reinvest in the squad. All right, let's leave West London behind in favor of North London and come back to Arsenal's victory over one of the worst teams the Premier League has ever seen <laughs> in Sheffield United. Um, obviously there's one highlight to note about this game and that's the performance of Eddie and Ketia. So Reese, what do you make of, of Eddie's performance today? Do you think it's like kind of long overdue a performance like this, or is it strictly because of the opposition? I think, uh, a little bit both. I mean, I think he's continued to be such a, such a hard worker and I'm, I'm a Enketia apologist. There's, there's kind of a debate amongst Arsenal fans of whether he's actually good or not, but I think, you know, when he's needed to step up, specifically when Jesus is injured, right? Because it's weird when they're actually competing and they're both fit, it seems like Enketia plays worse. But when he like has all of the burden to bear when Jesus is out injured, I think he just consistently performs pretty well. I mean, you think about last season when he had to come in and, and do a job for a few months um, when we were still top of the table looking like we could push for the whole thing. He came in and did that job. And now... You know, Jesus is out injured again. 
And then Ketchia is getting a hat trick. Now, like you said, it's Sheffield and they're not very good, but some of the goals in the, I mean, the first touch, his, his touch for the first impressive. goal was very good. I thought, you know, the third goal, obviously the pick of the bunch, just a great turn and finish. Um, yeah, I think a little bit of both though, you know, the opposition's poor, but I'm an Enketia fan. I think, uh, I think this game might be a turning point for him. I'm hoping he can turn around and, and get some consistency, right? Is there a world where him and Jesus play together up top? Jesus would have to go to the wing, but yeah, because I, I don't think four four two. Nah, I don't think Arteta wants to do that, um, especially with. I mean, you'd have to drop. I, I think it's asking too much defensively of one of the cams, right? Because in a four four two, I mean, what's the partnership? It'd be Rice and probably Odegaard, but then that's not really letting Odegaard do what his real job is. Right. Or, you know, even if it's Havertz, that's asking a lot of Havertz, same for Smith Rowe. Like, I just don't think we'd really, maybe Thomas party, but then where's Odegaard playing. Right. So I just don't think we, I think our current squad just lends itself to a four, three, three way more, but you know, if Jesus is playing on the wing, sure. Um, yeah, it was a great game for Manketia. That was really good to see. Speaking of Odegaard, he didn't play in this game. Um, at first, I thought, you know, this was just a super ballsy play from Arteta because Odegaard is not really he's, – he's had a couple of poor performances recently. And I thought, you know, dropping the captain, it's a big call. But then it comes out he's actually been playing with a knock and is, he's obviously been involved in pretty much every game for a long time now. So I think – it's it's smart to rest him, especially against Sheffield, um, get him some game time. Because I don't think it's a big enough knock to take him out completely, but, you know, just a little bit of an uncomfortable situation and maybe it's been flaring up the past few weeks contributing to some of those performances. So I think uh, giving him some time to to kind of rehabilitate between game weeks is is good. Um, now, his replacement in this game was Smith Rowe. <sighs> I want Smith Rowe to be good so bad. I just don't think... I think since his injury, he hasn't really been the same as we saw. Um, you know, he was he was the player really early on in Arteta's managerial stint that that really turned our tide um, and kind of started this off. Um, I, I can remember back on the podcast when I was suggesting we start, you know, we start him just because we didn't have any um, creative force in midfield and then he really he really exploded for a bit and then got that bad injury he's been struggling with injuries since and then yeah in this game i just thought i didn't think he was bad didn't really think he was good either he was just kind of there um Havertz, on the other hand i'm continuing continuing to be impressed by him i think you know there's always that question of is the goal output there but his new role he can kind of get away with not absolutely contributing goals and assists all the time um now i think he kind of needs to get one soon just for his own sake. I think it'll calm everybody down, but um, you know, his work off the ball is working the buildup, even defensively aerially, especially he's been really good. He's been a really good um, addition of like another tool in the tool belt, because I think previously we weren't super great in the air, but we've got a couple players now who are just really consistent, you know, rice Havertz, Tommy when he's on, um 
so yeah, I think that's just an added an added uh, tool to the tool belt. Um, I thought Rice was great again. Um, his assist on the on the first goal I thought was pretty good. I don't know if it was necessarily intentional. Um, it's it's kind of hard to tell with those kind of passes, but uh, I, I was still happy to see it. Um, and then you know I the the other thing I had written down was I I thought maybe Tamiyasu would start this game just because of his recent form. Um, we stuck with Zinchenko and, you know, I, I said, I, I wouldn't be upset about it. Cause I don't think he's necessarily done anything to be dropped. It's just Tommy has been really good, but Tommy coming on off the bench again, putting in another really solid, um, substitute appearance and getting his first goal for the club. So really happy for him. Um, and I, I hope he can get a, a start soon. Cause I, I really think he deserves it. Maybe, maybe in a. I mean, he started Champions League, so maybe maybe that's his avenue now for now at least. But um, you know, I think he'll be kind of licking his lips, you know, if Zinchenko makes a mistake because he he's going to get the call as soon as it happens. He's just been faultless uh, the past few games. Well, in the next game, if ever there was a, a a tactical fit to possibly try him out there as as in a starting role, is the next Premier League fixture, which is against Newcastle, because. He, on that left side, would be coming up against Kieran Trippier, trying to stop the crosses, stop the deliveries, and that kind of thing. So I think that could be an interesting one to keep an eye on to see if Arteta does decide to go with that tactical fit against Newcastle. Yeah. So another player who got to make a cameo, now I'm sure that he didn't have too much to do, but I wondered if you had any comments on him. That's Jacob Kivior. Yeah. Um, So he played the whole game. Uh I think just this was just a matter of resting Gabrielle. He's been playing pretty much every game since he was reintroduced to the team, you know, game week two or three. Um, and yeah, I, I was happy with him. I think there's been moments where, you know, you've, we've seen that there's a really good player there. He just needed time to develop, but I think it's, it's coming along pretty nicely. And, and uh, what he adds is he has the ability. He he's, he can also play left back like decently well. Um, so that allowed some more fluidity in the back. Um, especially with, I think, um, I think he does a better job of covering for Zinchenko maybe than Gabriel. I think Gabriel does a fairly good job, but I think, uh, you know, I would, I would never want to start Gabriel at left back and I would, I would probably consider starting Kivior at left back sometimes. So, um, I think that's, that's just something to be noted. And yeah, I thought he, yeah, he didn't have much to do, but pretty decent game. I expect he'll get some more minutes, you know, Champions League, Carabao Cup those kind of stuff. Now, before I go on to Sheffield United, Reese, do you have any final thoughts? That's it. So I don't want to go in too much on them and, you know, absolutely blast them up, but I do have some stats for you because, you know, generally there's this kind of thing about how the table is fake until 10 games. Usually once you get into double digits, you can kind of start to take the the table at face value. Obviously it doesn't really start to take shape until about 20, but at 10, you can kind of get an idea about the general area where teams are going to look to finish. Um, obviously, some outliers can change here and there, but Sheffield United, after their first 10 games, zero wins, one draw, nine defeats. By the way, seven goals scored. That's it. Um, they are one of only three teams in the division who have less than a goal a game, um, and they've conceded 29 which basically so, means they're conceding three goals a game. Since conceding one to Palace in their opening fixture, they've conceded two plus in every game. 
Hey, a win's a win, baby. A win's a, win's a, win. a win. I'm just saying, you know, the uh, first game. I can't, I can't just, quite say the first, include the first game, but it just had to be Pellas, huh? <laughs> it's been two plus goals in every game except that one. And of course, goal difference wise, they are the only team that's below negative twenty. They're at minus twenty two goal difference. Of course, you know you combine this game with the Newcastle game, and that's minus thirteen right there off the top. So. <laughs> doesn't look great for them. I do not see a universe in which they finish pretty much anywhere other than 20th, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Burnley is just as bad. We'll have to see. I think the thing with Burnley is I actually think a managerial change would help, question mark, in the short term at least. If they brought in, I'm not suggesting they should sack company because I think he's the long-term vision, but theoretically, let's say you bring in someone like Sean Dyche. I know he's not available, but just bear with me. You bring in someone like Sean Dyche to Burnley. I could see a universe where they survive. I don't know if there's a manager on the planet who could keep Sheffield United in the league right now. Yeah. I mean, it is worth pointing out practically their whole squad is injured. Their yes, injury true. list is so extensive and especially at the back. I mean, I think they mentioned, I think they play with a, obviously they play with a back five and all three of their starting center backs are injured currently. And they're all long-term injuries. Um, so it's just not very good outlook there. Yeah, and they're, they're having to play two sort of non-strikers at striker. I mean, Rian Brewster is, is you could categorize him as a striker. Some do, but yeah, snooze. Exactly. Um, one of Ethan's worst signings of all time, or not worst signings of all time, but forgotten signings long ago. I mean, 30 um, million. Jeez. Did not score his Premier League goal that season, yeah. Yeah, and then, well, I mean, he sure as hell hasn't scored one this season. And then uh, Gustavo Hammer, who's a midfielder by trade, of course, playing striker for them as well. And he has scored some good goals for them this season. But my goodness, if that's your option, I think they're starting to look really in trouble. So, yeah, I I mean, 10 games in, they're on pace to finish the season with four points. Um which would obviously be obviously would break the record by Darby. I could honestly, the amount of injuries they they have, I could honestly see them breaking the all time lowest points record. Yeah, I could see it too. So I just don't have really any bright spots for them. No, none. Truthfully, and a lot of it's unfortunate circumstance, but you know that's how it is. And they've had some emotionally crushing moments this season too. Like you think back to that Spurs game. Uh, where they were leading in the 98th minute and somehow managed to lose the game. And then the game after that is you get beaten 8-0 by Newcastle, and now you're pounded 5-0 at Arsenal. How do you get yourself up for this next run of games? Like, yeah, they have Wolves next, so that's a key game, but Wolves have been playing well. Like, Wolves are playing really well right now. And then after that, you have Brighton. So it just it doesn't get any easier for them, really. And um, they haven't even played the likes of Liverpool City. So... The really telling thing is is just like literally every team you're naming, I can see I can I could see that team scoring four. Yeah, a hundred percent. I could easily see Wolves scoring four. I could see Brighton scoring bags against them, and then I don't want to even think about what happens when City's going to play them, dude. It could easily yeah, be easy a record-setting occasion. There. Yeah, no doubt. So, of course, we say that, and it's going to be a nil-nil. Um, yeah. Or wait, did they already play them? I think they might have already played them. I might have made up the fact City? that they haven't played them yet. I, yeah, I think, they, I think they did play them because Holland didn't score or anything. I don't know. 
Yeah, they did. They did. It was like the second game of the season. I think because I remember because Sheffield United equalized very late on and everyone was like, oh, Man City, what's going on? And then Rodri scored immediately after that. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. All right. One last game and it's a good segue. Yeah, from Man Man City. Uh, The Manchester Derby, which I just want to I want to bring up a point. I think Reese will be with me on this. The North London Derby is so clear, like the North London Derby actually means something. It's an enjoyable game. Teams going back and forth of a comparable level. This Derby doesn't interest me whatsoever, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I just doesn't doesn't get the blood flow in. None of the players look like they're particularly like. If you showed me this game and took the kits away, not a Derby. Like, it, it just not a lot of energy going back and forth on the pitch. Um, I think the story here is probably more about United than City because anybody could have said that City was going to, you know, win this game relatively easily. It's just Johnny astounding Evans to me that wire starting. I, that's exactly what I was about to say. It's just astounding to me that we're still at that place, and not to mention Lindelof at left back. Um, yeah, and I it, mean I know injuries, but that's just like come on. Varane is on the bench. Regulon's on the bench. Like there are other defensive options you can you can play. Like I, I yeah, I just don't understand. It's uh it's not a good look for uh for Man United, especially when they have a hundred and eighty million pounds worth of midfielders sitting on the bench in Mason Mount and Anthony because they've both been so useless this season. Is Mount the worst signing of the season? I think yes. Gotta be. Um we used we said Cole Palmer at first, but at least he's actually he's playing good. performed pretty well and scored some yeah. goals, even if they are penalties. Uh Mount has done fuck all. So before we take know. more dookies all Thumbs over United, United, yeah. I have one bright spot for them. I thought Onana had a good game. I was gonna say, yeah. And I have to I have to bring it up because I've been dogging on him just like everybody else. He had a good game this game. He did. I was watching and they the still lost three 0 I was watching the highlights before the podcast and I was like thinking to myself in silence, I'm like, yeah, he actually is looking pretty decent now. So it just stinks that he's got crappy defenders in front of him. So I was gonna say, I think he's an all right goalkeeper. It's just that he's passing the ball out to Johnny Evans and Harry McGuire. Yeah. So I am gonna read you guys a list. This is an incredible list. Y'all might have seen it on Twitter because it yeah. was doing the rounds. This is a list of all the signings that Man United have made under Eric Ten Hag. You guys stop me if you hear a good signing. Marcel Sabitzer. Ah, oh, wait, wait, wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wout Weghorst. Not horrible, but it's Wout Weghorst. Yeah. Sofian Amrabat. TBD. I think maybe. Sergio Regulon. <laughs> Why are you even making that signing? Johnny Evans. <laughs> Christian Eriksen. Okay, but he looks washed. And I hate to say it, but he's he looks old. like he's old and <laughs> he's the only poor guy's pacemaker. He's been through a lot. Yeah. So Altai Bindeer, Bindeer, whatever, backup goalkeeper. Ooh. Terrell Malasia. <laughs> Andre Onana might pan Maybe. out, but so far. <laughs> Lissandro Martinez I don't want to make the noise but I'll make the noise I'm pretty close to making the noise he's fake Mason Mount 
Scream it from the top ropes. Casemiro, good signing. Good signing. I think recently he's washed. Recently he's been poor, but of these signings, he's been one of the only ones who's worth a damn. Rasmus Hoyland. Still to pan out, but he's he's weird. I think he catches better than him. He scores a lot in the Champions League. I actually agree, Reese. No, I, agree <laughs> I would rather that. have Nketi in the team right now than no. I, I definitely agree. It's just still young and, then, and whatever. We continue. The last one, the banger, the absolute devastating nuclear bomb, Anthony for one hundred million smackaroos. Yeah, say it with me. <laughs> yeah, I saw a statistic. It was um, it was an Arsenal fan actually, and he was saying. No wonder Jaden Sancho didn't want to be the scapegoat. And it was a list of all of United's attackers' stats compared to Jaden Sancho's. And there's no difference. It's They're all on zeros. Yeah. Uh, I did see that they've scored 11 goals this season, and 10 of them were from midfielders or defenders, Yeah, which is insane. I think the, the one was from Rashford against us. Yeah. So uh, just crazy stuff. Rashford's been off it. Um he was in my fantasy team for the first few weeks. Nice one. Um, yeah. Where's that <laughs> celebration? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Does anyone have any thoughts on Man City? I don't, but. No, not really. All of my, oh, the the penalty was fake. I don't know if that's on Man City or if it's a ref thing, but that penalty it, it, is it, just non, it's not a penalty. If they're calling that, they need to call a penalty in every single game because that yeah, happens I mean, every single Premier League game that's ever been played. Yeah, I think I could. I think both of you could as well. Just make a list of, you know, just this season of scenarios where we didn't receive penalties for the exact same things. There's like, ones I where I don't, on. I don't even look at those anymore because it's so like it's just not a penalty. Like guys jostling in the in the box for a corner or for a free kick or a delivery or whatever. It just doesn't get given ever. And and I think it's to the point where I don't even consider those missed decisions against us anymore. And VAR has felt the need to get their grubby paws all over the game once again and insert themselves where they're not needed. So just strange stuff from all corners and, and a poor performance from United and a great performance from, from city. So, so I wanted to bring up 10 hog cause I don't necessarily think this is entirely his fault. Obviously we talked about the injuries in the back. Um, however, like, I think he shares the blame because I don't, I don't, I've said this all season. I don't know what they are doing tactically. Like they are just so unimpressive tactically. I don't know what Ten Hag is doing. I think there was this kind of narrative about how, yeah, Ten Hag is going to come in and his system is a little bit complicated, so it's going to take a little bit to bet in, and we got to give him time to settle to the new league. He's coming from the Netherlands. We don't know a lot about him and all this bullshit. I think all that is hogwashed by two people. Number one, Unai Emery. Ten hogwashed. Yeah, Tin hogwashed. Number one, Unai Emery, who was maligned when he was in the Premier League. He was someone who, you know, Arsenal kind of forced out the door because he wasn't getting results, and, and now he comes back in with Villa and makes an instant impact and then the one that really hogwashes it 10 hogwashes it if you will is Postacoglu, who comes in from scotland which is a league that's even less recognized than the netherlands and makes a difference in one of the big six um instantly and i think 
one of the other things that I've heard recently, a couple of people that I, you know, follow on in this, this, they're not really Spurs Twitter, but they're kind of in the ether of Spurs. They're just tangentially connected. Um, have said that uh, I can't, uh, Martin Yole, former Spurs manager, also managed Fulham for a while, but former Spurs manager, be- actually consulted with Spurs and begged them not to hire Ten Hag when searching through the process because he is, and I and I quote, weird and a character who like makes people uncomfortable around the dressing room. Like he's just a weird character. And I think that's, <laughs> these things seriously matter. Like I think, one of the one of the biggest credits I can give to Postacoglu, and I think one of the reasons why he is as successful as he is, is because he's just a normal guy. He's just a yeah. normal guy who comes in and makes sensible decisions and says sensible words in press conferences, and it's that easy. Like I I I think this notion that we have to give him two years to build this grand tactical hierarchy is nonsense. Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think there is something to be said that the players maybe aren't performing his vision, but the the one thing about the players really is that they just, there is no leaders in that team. The only leader is Maguire, but he almost doesn't count because of his recent form. Like his reputation is just absolutely shot. So he's just, he doesn't have carry the same level of respect as he did. I mean, you just look at it at the end of the game. You know, there's no responsibility to own up for a bad performance. All the players, including Bruno, who is their captain, by the way, are crowding around the refs, presumably complaining about the penalty. But, dude, you, it's like, take away the penalty. You got completely outplayed at home in a derby, and you don't seem to care. Like, you're not performing well, and you decide to complain to the refs. It's like, okay, like, take some ownership over the loss, especially Bruno. I mean, he's the captain. Come on. The funny thing about that is that, they have a bunch of players who think they are leaders, but they are totally not. Like they just try so hard to get the team galvanized, and you know, and, and it's it's one thing to be, you know be stay together during the tough times, but like there's no one in there to lead them anyway, and they're definitely not going to get it from the manager. So yeah, it's it's a weird weird time at uh, Old Trafford right now. And I, mean, I don't really. Did... Sorry, you go ahead. I was going to say I don't really see light at the end of the tunnel right now. Like, yeah, they have players who are going to come back from injury and that'll make a difference, but will it? I mean, I don't really, it's it's hard to imagine them finishing this season in the top eight. I mean, there are so many teams that I just think have a better, better feet on the ground, better position, better results, better performances, better players, better managers, all the above. I mean, Villa are going to finish higher than them. Brighton are going to finish higher than them for sure. Fulham might. <laughs> the way Wolves are playing, hell, Wolves might even finish above them. Chelsea <laughs> will probably finish above calm them. Down, so I'm just saying, I mean, I, I just don't see light at the end of the tunnel. That, yeah. That's my point. I, I have a theory that might be ridiculous, but I genuinely think long-term it might be better because they're in eighth right now, right? I think five five wins, five losses. Um, they, I think long-term it might have been better had they actually lost more games because I think eventually we're going to see United still being bad and Ten Hag getting sacked later down the road, but there's not going to be enough time to fix things. I think Ten Hag has unfortunately done enough to stay in the job for now. And I think he's going to outstay his welcome. Uh, 
and they're I think they're gonna end up doing worse because of it because there's not gonna be enough time. I just think I just think I I can't foresee another outcome. Like I don't I cannot envision the season ending and Ten Hog having the job at United still. It's like what I what I I think Josh I remember whenever I Nuno was at Spurs and I was kind of saying after six or seven games, like we need to get this guy out. Like it's going to happen. We're going to sack him. So why waste more time trying to invest in this dead end? And I think it's sort of similar to that. Like this is not, and this is not even that this is a scenario where this is a guy who's had a year and two and then some transfer windows to build his so-called identity into the squad. And we're still at this position. Funny enough, Nuno's record when he got sacked was five wins and five losses, by the way, after 10 games. So kind of some more parallels there, but I'm with you. I just don't understand what the alternative is to have him there for the rest of the season. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. So, but then (laughs) you sack him and who do you bring in? Like there's hardly anyone on the market. I mean, I guess Conte's still available, but. (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to go down that road right now. Um, yeah. They're just, and, and United fans love the blame the Glazers. Like, and I get it to an extent. However, let's look back at Antony. There's, there's no way that Antony isn't a 10 hog signing and they've given he him. Played under him. Exactly. He played under him. He so obviously 10 hog wanted him in the team. And the Glazers have given him a hundred million to spend on this guy, and he's crap. So Same like, for Martinez. I, I understand the Glazers are at fault to an extent because there's obviously bad recruiting, there's obviously bad ownership going on, but they can't be the scapegoat permanently. Like if you just constantly blame the Glazers, nothing's gonna change. And the Glazers are not the ones who are sitting, I guarantee they're not sitting at Old Trafford thinking, hmm, oh uh, yes, which player should we sign? Oh uh, yes, I know Mason Mount. Like yeah. the, the Glazers are not making those decisions. Somebody at the club is making those decisions and it's not them. And it might be Ten Hag, but it might not be who knows. So they just need complete and utter upheaval. I don't, I mean, yeah, the Glazers, whatever, but the boardroom needs upheaval just as much as the ownership, just as much as the management, just as much as the playing staff. So I, I, the issues run deep at Man United and, and, and it's a little bit like Sheffield United, obviously, to a different scale, but I just don't have bright spots for them right now. I can't think of any, really. I mean, it's just a tough look. Tough look for them. So Yeah. All right. Let's uh, bring the show to a close, gentlemen. I know uh, Reese is on his way out to go have some dinner, which is nice. Uh, and then we've got to, of course, make a pit stop before we leave for Album of the Week with Ethan. Yeah, so I put on that costume, and I did not grab the record, but I have the CD. Uh, I think of this album, uh, I mean, I think it's a seasonal album, but like you can listen to it all seasons, I, I mean, but I think about it in fall, and it makes me happy during fall, and it, it's just, I like it a lot. It's it's Chet Baker Sings. I, I love listening to Chet Baker. Uh, I think he's got a really nice voice, and a bunch of the songs he sings. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> a lot of the stuff he sings uh, about is like awesome and I used to always listen to some of his songs before like getting ready for for big things in, in my life and stuff like that so yeah I think it's a it's Chet Baker season excellent stuff 
All right, gentlemen, I want to say a big thanks to both of you for joining us today. Reese, thanks for coming on. Wow. <laughs> Ethan, thanks for coming on as well. Thank you for hosting and thank you for having me. And I look forward to having Josh back soon. Absolutely right. Shout out to Josh. Hopefully he's back next week and we can uh, have him back on and, and give him all of his accolades and whatever at that time. Big accolades to you, the listener, for sticking around and hanging out with us. Thanks for your time. We appreciate you coming along. Um, get involved with us on all the socials, SlackCastPL, SlackCastPL.com if you want to check out the website. Um, and then other than that, that's it. We hope you're uh, enjoying the Premier League. Stay safe, stay healthy, and it's a goodbye from us. Yeah,